Morning, everyone. You made it. It's snowy, right? Yeah, that's what, that's what I'm talking about. That's a big deal for Vancouverites to handle a bit of snow. Uh, Paul, in his letter to the Romans, uh, this is in the first chapter, he writes these words. He says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. And I've thought of these words of Paul many times in the months uh, leading up to these Sundays as I've approached the end of my time as lead pastor at Artisan Church. And I'm grateful for these words because I've felt a similar longing, a longing of relationship, a longing to be with you in this way, um, I've had the hope that whatever I have left to give, I may, might be able to give it some offering that could uh, make this community a little bit stronger, and that in this we might all be encouraged, that there could be a deposit of courage uh, placed in our hearts. And, I, and I've thought and, and prayed, if that could happen, wouldn't that be good? Uh, and so for the next two weeks, uh, it's just a, a two-week short series here at the start of the year, uh, where I think we're all thinking of different kinds of change, individual, uh, communal, uh, hopefully some of those resolutions that you've, you, you set out, well, how, where are we, 12 days ago, uh, there's, they're still hanging on uh, in some measure, and so we're, th- we're thinking about change and movement, and so it's, it's a two-week series on movement, and mostly I'm going to say things to you that I've said many times before, but I think these are important things, and these are from my heart. So what do I have to impart? I'm not really sure. I mostly have stories and a few poems, probably a few lame jokes, uh, some curiosity for scripture, and a bit of my own testimony thrown in. A number of months uh, ago, I put these words in my journal, and I've been carrying them and revisiting, flipping back the pages. Where, where is that again? Where was it? It's from a David White essay. And uh, this is what David White says. So much of what we are involved with, even in the highest cause, becomes involvement at the busy periphery, where the central conversation has been lost to the outer edges of what, once, what was, to begin with, a very simple central invitation. So this is what I would like to consider with you this morning. Let's have a short prayer and we'll dive in. Thank you. Thank you, God, for weather. Thank you for changing climate. Thank you for, uh, well, I guess, water in all its various forms. Thank you for the joy and the frustration that comes with this. Thank you for this community. Thank you for your open table. Thank you for your word that is living and active. And we pray for grace to be just uh, resiliently receptive to you this morning. New grace to, to once again unclench and open our hands to you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd love it if we could look at John's gospel together. Um, mostly just so you can look at this and consider this yourself. And let your eyes and your attention go uh, where they go, despite what I'm saying. So John 1, uh, if, if you've got a chair Bible, let's go together at John 1, verse 35. You can tell by the chapter number, this is early in the gospel. So we're right at the beginning here of um, 
hold on. There's a fresh baby in the house. Hey, welcome. Yeah, okay, sorry. Um, so here we are, John 1, uh, 35. Uh, the next day, John, this is John the Baptist, he was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. They, they got up and, and moved. This is how people always get in on uh, the movement of Jesus. They let their curiosity move them. They allow their fascination to lead them. So they, they start moving. When the two disciples heard this, they heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? Or I don't know, what do you want? Or what do you want? What do you want? I don't know how the question was stated. Lots of different little emphasis there. But it's a brilliant question. Jesus, notorious question asker, this is the first question he asks. I think there's something there. I think, in fact, there's a lot there, that this is the starting point. This is the way Jesus greets those who have some mixture of skepticism and curiosity. First of all, what do you want? What are you after? What's going on in those desires? What do you want? Great question. Their answer, they want to know where he's staying, which may seem a little odd to our context, but because students stayed with their teachers, having a rabbi was always a live-in situation. It was a way of saying, we want to know more about you, your way. We would like some time together. We want to know where you dwell so that we can begin to dwell in your teaching. And I love Jesus' answer. Come, he replied, and you will see. Other places it says, come and see. I, I like this here. Come, and you will see. Only in coming does it get clear, because you can't see it from here. I love that Jesus doesn't answer the question on the road because he can't. There's no answers out there. You have to move to find the answer, and isn't that how it always is? Uh, I, one of my latest literary crushes is Maggie Smith. This is the poet, not the actor, from Downton Abbey. Both are marvelous women. Uh, this is Maggie Smith's words. She says this, You are at the beginning of something you won't know the size and shape of for months, maybe even years. No one expects you to have it all figured out now. The only way to know what will happen is to keep going and see for yourself. Eyes ahead. Keep moving. A little shout out for her forthcoming uh, book. This is called Keep Moving, Notes on Lost Creativity and Change. That comes out in May. I think she's uh, fantastic. Uh, but she's on the same thing. There's no way to know from here. Eyes ahead. Keep moving. Come and you will see. And so they did go and they saw. And a little bit later in, uh, in John 1, as the story starts unfolding, we hear for the first time in verse 43, Jesus finds a man named Philip, and he says to him, follow me. This is Jesus' most famous one-liner, follow me. The simple cent central invitation of Jesus is this. 22 times it shows up in the Gospels. And this invitation sometimes 
for a few people arrives in the middle of their workday. Sometimes this arrives when a person's really stuck or ashamed or at their worst. Sometimes this arrives to a person where Jesus picks them out of a crowd, sees them for the first time they're seen, and says, no, 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 you, you, you follow me. And as we've looked many, many times, it is an invitation to apprenticeship. It's the call to take on the way and the lifestyle of Jesus, to be a student of Jesus for life. There's so much that we've said, and there's so much more that could be said about this. But I just want to just say a very simple, basic observation. The invitation of Jesus to follow me moves people. I mean, even now, this is rhetorical. This, uh, was, you got to preface that, right? Because sometimes you get us verbal processors who will answer it right out loud. Uh, it's a rhetorical question. When you, when you heard those words, maybe I'm assuming you've heard them before, maybe for the 800th time, follow me. Uh, what happened? What, what do, you, do you hear anything in those words? Is, is, there, is there any invitation left in them? Say this invitation was in fact to arrive to you in 2020. What might that mean and where might you go? Follow me could mean many different things for your business and the way you parent and your sexuality. I'm just talking to the straight people because we always just talk about the sexuality of our LGBTQ community. So let's just focus on the straight people for a while. It, it may be a call to follow you, follow me in your sexuality. It might be a call to follow Jesus in your work. I don't know. A variety of contexts, places. Follow me. And at the heart, I, th I think what we're hearing is to be movable, malleable, biddable, summonable. These aren't words anymore. Uh, disruptable, leadable, dislodgeable. So what Jesus is doing is what God has always done. We see this through the whole story of Scripture. One way, in fact, to, to, if we were to look at the story of Scripture, you could, we could say it's this. One way of telling the story is God inviting to pe people to stuff they weren't ready for and then watching how they respond and how God supplies. It's just over and over and over and over. God inviting stuff, people to stuff weren't ready for, weren't always asking for, Watching how they try and wiggle out of it. We're going to look at an example. Watch how they try and change the arrangement in some way. And watching how they either sometimes fail, usually fail, and seeing how God supplies. I want to look at one example of just how this invitation has been from, uh, from the beginning. And as, as far as hobby horses, this just clearly is one of mine. This is Genesis 12, 1 to 3. And it was this passage that caused Amy and I to move uh, to the West Coast. Uh, this, it was just swimming around in this passage that led us to, to uh, dislodge our lives and, and uh, move out here and begin the work of helping to plant this church. So it's a really dear piece of scripture. And, and a couple of months ago when Amy and I were coming to terms that my time as, as lead pastor here was was ending, that was an ending approaching. Amy said, 
I think we're back in Genesis 12. I think we're back with Abram again. I said, I think you're right. So these are really precious words. Uh, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your, from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Just pause on verse 1. Just, again, this is the father of the faith. Let's just notice a few things here. The first uh, call is to leave. It's to leave. And what gets listed? Well, you'll notice to leave country, people, your people, and your father's household. So there comes a time when the needed thing is to leave. And I just want you to review your own life. And, and let's just begin to consider all the leavings you've already engaged in. There comes a time when the need is, in fact, to leave. And sometimes the call is to leave family. And by that I mean, perhaps there was a time when you heard a similar call. It is now time to leave the unhealthy relationships, the, the templates of relating that you've received from your family of origin. It's time to leave that. For some of us, it's actually meant leaving toxic relationships. Like, I, I don't have a family anymore, but I've got my chosen family. Maybe, maybe it, there came a time where it was, it was time to leave your constant waiting for approval that just was never going to come from your parents. The call to leave people. Maybe you know something about leaving a relationship or taking a, a, a change in work, and, which meant you had to leave some really significant friendships behind The call to leave country, I think, wow, at, at our point in time, this is a really significant call. The call to leave country, to leave partisan politics, militarism, pervasive racism that is woven into the fabric of this country. The unchecked materialism, the rampant ravaging of our natural environment. The call is to leave, to come out from that. You may say, in my story, I know about leaving a toxic theology that created harm. It's the hardest thing I ever did where I deconstructed and allowed Jesus to reconstruct my trust and faith in him. Some of the most beautiful stories I've gotten to witness is that story in this congregation. Some of you know about leaving a habit, an addiction, those of you who are in recovery, we still need you to be our leaders to help us know how to leave well. So I bet if you took some time and you reviewed your story, you, you may say, you know what? Oh, I've done some leaving. I've done me some good amount of leaving. And so remember and rehearse your story because that call to leave will not end. The second part of the call is to go. Okay, where? Oh, uh, to the land I will show you. Okay. Uh, mm -mm. Not a ton of detail there. Uh, no GPS, no map, no itinerary. Not even a really bad set of directions. Like turn right, go five days, pass this really angry herd of camels. Um, then you'll come, you know, to this certain old well, and then in between the mountains of Mordor, 
that's a different story, actually. But this, is this all that Abram gets to the land I will show you? Yes and no. Okay, yes and no. Verse 2, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is what Abram gets. He gets a promise and he gets presents. Now, the call of Abram is going to require a lot. It's going to cost a lot. It's going to be a costly movement. And so often when these calls come in our lives, the invitation to leave and to go, we want the arrangement to include control and certainty. But God never works with those. God always works with promise and presence. And when we keep reading the story of Abraham, we see him trying to get more control and certainty into the arrangement. Like, let's, great idea, let's just work a little bit more here on my terms. And God has to keep reminding Abraham, no, no, it's only promise and presence. The call to leave and go, of course, it means change. We, we know that, or at least we intuit it. And because it calls for change, it means risk. And that's right about where the whole conversation gets shut down. If you were to be honest in this moment, how many times in your life has an invitation arrived to leave and go, and it barely, God barely got it out, and you're like, and seen. Done. No. No, because that, you're asking me to primarily leave control and certainty, and that's kind of my bread and butter. Uh, this operating system, no, does not run on promise and presence. This is like a totally different thing. Love the vision, God. Love it. Mm. That kind of future, in fact, is the one I'm dreaming of. But instead of leave and go, I was thinking a bit more stick and stay. Okay? We kind of rearrange it a bit. Can I not stay here and get the blessing? And there are so many ways, and they're so subtle, where we begin to turn the call, that outward call to follow me, to turn it inward and say, God, I'd just rather if you follow me. It's just, just a bit of a divine butler. Someone to follow me around and bless me, confirm me, but do not confront me. The invitation is always from to. And we see this in Abraham all the way through Jesus. It's always from to. Hebrews 11 has this whole list of stories of people who've done the from to adventure. So many people who moved from to. And you know, I know, that every good adventure, every good adventure story requires a from to. A story that has no departure, no arrival, just messy middle, not, not a great story. Right? Douglas Copeland says, adventure without risk is Disneyland. Good stories need a from to. We need, we need risk and movement. One of the best adventure stories that I've, that I've seen lately is, is this movie here. This is Peanut Butter Falcon. 
by the way, I don't, spoiler alert, but in the middle, the tall, that's Jake the Snake, uh, which is just incredible, an amazing cameo, Oscar-worthy performance. Um, just a fantastic movie of adventure full of leaving and risking and arriving. Oh, so good. Commend that to you if you haven't seen it. But the challenge is not just to be admirers and watchers and consumers of adventure stories, but creators and livers of them. Yeah? We, we see this kind of story and it makes our heart beat because we know, yeah, I'm made for that. I want that. The trap is just viewing it, right? And not doing it. What's my adventure story going to be? It's a good question. What's the adventure going to be in 2020? Will it be? Just, just imagine it on the marquee. She never once missed a payment. Not once did he cause embarrassment to his parents in his later years. Or this blockbuster. After many, many years, they saved and then they purchased a Tesla. It's really long. They purchased a Tesla, and then they drove it home and plugged it in. <laughs> we know that's actually, those aren't adventure stories. We so easily fall for consuming them, but not creating them. And this is the ongoing blind spot of conservatism. This is playing it safe. This is an unwillingness to take risks. This is a preoccupation with safety. It is, to borrow Lucy Shaw's words, the crime of living cautiously. Commend this book to you. This is a gentle book for those of us who don't risk well. You don't have 1% entrepreneur in you. Okay? This is a really gentle, gentle book. Uh, well, beautifully written. Um, and gives a few nudges. Another word, of course, for adventure then is just faith. Scripture talks about faith being confidence of what we hope for, confidence of what we're moving towards, and assurance of what we do not see. Elsewhere, it talks about how we walk by faith, not by sight. This is how adventure gets made. It's by trust. It's by confidence and assurance. Faith is the forward momentum in the face of uncertainty. I don't see it. I do not comprehend it. But I will keep moving. I will not require knowing how the story ends before starting it. I mean, imagine if you are, I won't assume, but if you are a person who watches shows of some kind, imagine every time you sat down for a new show, well, hold on, hold on. Scroll, watch the last five minutes. Okay, good, yeah, then we'll go to the beginning. You're, you're seriously messing up your viewing pleasure. Or imagine, anyone who has a kid right now who's learning to walk? Any, any like, just teetering? Yeah, Megan. Um, I saw um, Spencer and Ellie's girl, blanking on her name. Help me. Yeah, yeah. 
Now, just imagine as an auntie or a parent or a grandparent or an uncle or something, you're around a, a little, when, when did kids start walking? I've forgotten. One. You're around a one-year-old, okay, and you see they're right on the cusp of walking. And, and they say this to you. So, and somehow they're very articulate and intelligent at one. They turn and they say, Mom, I will not walk unless the physics are explained to me. I also want charts and diagrams up front, and your slide deck better be good. You be, hold on, no, wait, this is not how kids talk, uh, and this is not how working, uh, walking works, and you go on and they interrupt you, and you say, no, I will not move unless I'm guaranteed I will not fall. And you're like, whoa, whoa, no. You actually learn to walk by falling. That's all it is, it's just collective Falling, you just compound a bunch of falling together. That's what walking is. They say, no, I will not use these legs unless I know where they will take me for my entire life. Ridiculous. And yet, adults, which is most of us, is this not how we approach walking into the future? Is this not how we approach decision-making? Too often. I, no, I can't because I, I don't understand how it works. Uh, oh, I would love to try that. I mean, I've been dreaming of it for years. You have no idea, but I would need a guarantee that I wouldn't fail or fall before doing that. Oh, I have these gifts, but I can't use them because I don't know where all of this will lead. But no, no, you, you learn to walk by falling and moving and falling. I love how Romans 18 reads in the message, this resurrection life you've received from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a child like, what's next, Papa? So the invitation is one of adventurous faith, which means movement and risk. And the invitation will always include a wilderness. Because between every from to, there's a wilderness. It's not Egypt's promised land. It's never a straight shot. So which means if, if to take up the invitation to move from to will require moving straight into the dark and into unknowing and in between this and all kinds of, is this still the way because the trail disappeared a long time ago. Brennan Manning says, the way of trust is a movement into obscurity, into the undefined, into ambiguity, not to, into some predetermined, clearly delineated plan for the future. The next step discloses itself only out of a discernment of God acting in the desert of the present moment. The reality of naked trust is the life of the pilgrim who leaves what is nailed down obvious and secure and walks into the unknown without any rational explanation to justify the decision or guarantee the future. Why? Because God has signaled the movement and offered it his presence and his promise. So the invitation can be contained in a word and that's pilgrim. I thought of that word recently because 
Last week, Nelson led us, if you were here, in this great examine exercise. And one of the uh, exercises was to review, to scan, to see our last year. And so I, I started at the beginning of 2019, and I remembered, oh, yeah, this time last year, I went to Ireland. Right. It was, it was this huge trip for me. Uh, I, I went to, you know, with the guidance of Rick Steves, uh, like over-researched this trip. I went with the hopes of rain and green pastures and black Guinness and narrow roads and the friendliest people. There's music and, and dancing, not that I participated in, but watched. Uh, I went on a silent retreat I, I discovered a saint I'd never heard of. This is, this is real Saint Kevin. Isn't that a great saint name? Uh, actually, uh, yeah, so I went to where he, he lived, and, and um, it was an amazing trip. A little rental car just bombing all over the island by myself, just the gift of time alone. But I went into the retreat fairly burdened actually quite burdened. There, there was a lot of movement in my soul that I didn't know what to do with and I was too afraid to even address. And I was in Luke 7, just over and over and over, Luke 7, Jesus giving the promise, if you ask, seek, and knock. So it was just a trip of driving all over the place, just doing that on repeat, asking, seeking, and knocking. I remember texting friends before I went on this, please pray for me. I wanted a breakthrough. I was using huge language because I found out uh, part of the pilgrimage tradition in Ireland, there's a phrase, I forget it now, but it's called seeking the place of your own resurrection. So I said, friends, would you pray for me for I could find my place of resurrection? I went into this like high hopes. And y'all, it was just so average. I mean, Ireland was beautiful. Almost fell off a cliff. It was windy. Um, the Guinness is better, sure. Music was incredible. It was such a gift of a time, and it was just so quiet. Whatever the opposite of breakthrough is, that would be what it was. So I came back from Ireland, and you may have noticed I haven't really talked about it in sermons. And then last Sunday, Nelson's leading us in this examine, and I'm scanning the year, and I'm remembering this trip, and I remember the, the pressure I had on this pilgrimage. And, and it was almost like, in a way, I was trying to define to design a pilgrimage where God would give me everything up front and I would see the coming year with crystal clarity. I would get on a plane back to Vancouver with just so much certainty. I was looking for this compressed pilgrimage. I was focused on being a pilgrim in Ireland and God was inviting me to be a pilgrim in the whole of my life. And I heard these words, I want to do more than bless your vacations. This is expanding pilgrimage beyond Ireland. And as I see, as I see the rest of my year throughout 2019, and as it turns out into 2020. This week I was talking with my daughter Eva about what are we doing again here, Dad? And this is really weird that we're doing this. 
what we were talking about was how I've got, I have three weeks left at Artisan and I don't have a job in February. We were talking about why Mom and I have made this decision. We were rehearsing the stories of how God's provided for us and how Mom and I really do believe that God's signaled this change. We don't know where it's heading, but we, we really believe God's signaled it. And she, she said, yeah, this is really weird. Most people don't do this. I said, yeah, this isn't the norm. But it is the story. Hebrews 11, chock full of people who move from to by faith. So this invitation always requires calls for a wilderness, and it means whatever your self-concept is, incorporating a little bit of pilgrim in there. Wayfarer, wanderer. The invitation is also made by shifts and steps. Uh, this is a, I'm commending a few books here because I'm not going to get to do this uh, much longer, and I love people to love my favorite books, I guess. But uh, this is a book I love. Uh, oh, no, let's go for the quote first. This is James Clear in Atomic Habits. He's, he says this, You do not rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. And what he's saying is, your, you know, your goal, your desired outcome, that's your desired outcome, your vision, and your system is the collection of daily habits that will get you there. And so James Clear's whole thing is spend a little less time on outcomes and more time focusing on systems. Focus on a collection of habits, which sounds a lot like us, practicing the way of Jesus. So that's the book there, Atomic Habits. Um, it is not a waste of time. Um, so two, two things here as we come into 2020, just to get it a little practical about shifts and steps. Uh, I would like to extend an invitation to actually consider this. You've probably already started in some measure of putting some goals down, resolutions, some vision. This is one more help towards doing that. Let's go next slide. A little handout. It's at the info desk, and uh, we'll include it in the email this week, so you can, if you want, you can just download the PDF. Really simple framework, but at least it's something if you need it. Some sort of structure to begin just naming your from and your to. And do you, have, do you have a few of them? So start naming your shifts and then name your steps. What's, what's the one right next step that you could take now? How might you sabotage yourself? Who do you need to support you in this? How will you reward yourself if you don't accomplish any of this, but you've attempted? And that's worth something. So there's a worksheet there, and then the back is a bunch of poems, um, just to encourage you on the journey and to make this sermon shorter. Okay? So, so those are there. All right, well, we're going to round into an ending here and then an invitation and a, and a bit of a charge uh, but I just want you to know, we've been at the beginning of, of John's gospel, and now I want to go to the end. It's John 21. And this is that great scene where this is post-resurrection, and the dis disciples, especially Peter, are down in the dumps. They're completely lost, off the map, d denied uh, Jesus, absolutely lost. And Jesus comes, and um, one of the... the 
Maybe my favorite verse in the Bible, verse 12, Jesus calls out to them, come and have breakfast. So great. This is what the risen Christ does is he prepares a little food and a little uh, breakfast meal. And, and that's the context for reconciliation. And then they go on a beach walk. Jesus and Peter go on a walk. And Jesus, as they're walking, brings Peter into a very tender and tough conversation. He reinstates Peter. But he, he also, he, he, in that restoring, he gives Peter a vision of where his life's heading. And it's, there's lots of suffering in it. From to, there's no guarantee that it's easier, right? Or that this is upgrades in terms of your, your sense of ease. And, and, and so he, he lays out in, in uh, some really strong truth-telling. Verse 18, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then notice this. Then he said to him, follow me. I don't, I don't know if I've noticed that before. I imagine Peter saying... Again? Is, is that, that's your line? Now? Still, I, I thought I already was. I mean, we are walking together right now. What I'm walking with you here. And isn't this the stuff you say to new disciples anyway? Follow me. And Peter goes in 20, verse 20, all kinds of distractions. What about John? Starts going off on all these different things. Different, and, and look at this, this part. Verse 22. You must follow me. This is the final conversation with his friends. And this is the thing Jesus most wanted them to hear. This is what Peter needed to hear again. Especially in this moment. The simple central invitation. Peter. You. Follow me. There's never a time we don't need to hear this. And so the thing I most wanted to say this morning is this, that the invitation only expands and it never expires. This is just an ongoing, expanding invitation. I recall the story uh, from two years ago that this is really quite personal and uh, and it's felt too personal to share in a big way. But I just revisited it. It's from April 17th, 2018. And I was in a spiritual direction, sitting with uh, my, my, I guess, a spiritual friend, companion, Karen. And uh, we were doing what we always do. I brought what was felt most alive to me. And what was most alive to me was a whole tangle of emotion. And so I just we kind of put that on the table together. And I began uncovering my ongoing tension. The first tension I named was my tension as a preacher. I was saying, I have a tension. I don't know how to be faithful and creative. She said, oh, that's interesting. So those are poles for you? Yeah, faithful and creative. And as I started naming them, more tensions came out. I don't know how to be a manager or a mystic or like an administrator and an artist. 
And as I started, there just more and more tensions came out. I thought of our LGBTQ discernment process. Uh, is this traditional or progressive affirming? And I pictured, I saw in my mind's eye all these giant braided ropes, like really hefty ropes, and there are multiple people out on this field playing tug-of-war. So there's some on this end, some on that end. And all kinds of movement back and forth. And then I saw myself, so I was watching, this is mystical, right? But I'm watching myself run around in the picture, managing all those games, tending to them. Sometimes, if, if it was a little bit of a weak side that was getting pulled too far over, then I'd get on their side and dig my heels in and give a little help. And my director asked me to describe the experience of managing these polarities. And I described the sense of just ping-ponging all over, holding up one end, holding up the other, feeling trapped on one side, knowing my release and freedom is if I can just get on the other side. I said, this is just a deep sense of work, and it was urgent and important because I've, I was trained at an institution that loves the word tension. I was trained to live in tension and to hold tension and to value the tension. Tension work is very important. And so I was doing it and I was mostly exhausted. I was so, so tired. My director asked what she always asks and what always feels like something I have yet to consider. Where is Jesus in this and what might he say? I thought, I, that's just, what a great thought. <laughs> and so I realized I was looking, just, I kind of just zoomed out. And I was looking at a framed picture with these multiple games of tug-of-war going on. And as I immediately saw Jesus, he's up in the right-hand corner. I saw him there. And I saw him turn to me. He was viewing the whole scene. He was looking back at the scene at me. Almost as if he'd been waiting to catch my eye and get my attention. And he looked right at me dead in the eyes. And he said, follow me. And then he just walked right out. He just walked right out of the frame. It was a bit of a mic drop delivery too. Follow me. Boom out. Why did he do that? Karen asked. And I knew, I knew right away. I said, because he's not interested in tug of war. And I can't describe how I know, knew this, nor can I convey his utter boredom and deep interest in what I was so devoted to. It was as though once he had my attention, he couldn't give it one more second to watch the tug of wars. Let me be clear, I'm not, that frame is not about me being a pastor or about artisan. It's about how I was operating in the frame and thinking I just have to manage the tension. Clear? Important to me that you know that. There was the sense that this really wasn't the game at all and that there was so much energy being expended that the real action was elsewhere, which I assumed was where he was heading. He gave the invitation, turned, walked out of the frame, and to be very clear, he did not wait for me. 
And at this moment, I realize now that this picture was, in fact, a portal. And by Jesus' invitation, what was two-dimensional, transfigured, popped open to being three-dimensional. It was a landscape. And since he walked out of the frame, if I wanted to see where he was going, I I kept kind of going like this because I wanted to try and see around the edge. If I wanted to see, I I couldn't observe anymore. I'd have to climb through the frame and enter the landscape. This deep sense, the spirit has left the building. And I knew that once I crawled through the portal, I likely wouldn't see him. But I hoped I'd hear him, maybe from a few mountain ranges over whistling. The effect this image has had on me, that it had on me, was, was like laughter and defibrillation. I, it, it, I just laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed because why I did not see this coming I did not know this is what I most needed and the the irony is that follow me as you may have heard a few sermons is a bit of a hobby horse and it's the Anabaptist vision of discipleship and I, I love talking about disrupting polarization and third-way theology and all of that stuff, but I didn't see that I needed it in my own life. I needed the simple central invitation here, again, now, in this place. And he was daring me to follow him out of the frame into the unseen and the unknown wild country that I'd always yearned to enter. So, ours in church. This is our simple, central invitation to follow Jesus out of the frame. And the problem with frames are that they only capture a certain part of the scenery, right? It's not 360. We're invited to the whole landscape. So the invitation is to be a pilgrim people who are movable and malleable and disruptable and dislogible. And we move not by self-invention, but by spirit invitation. So our invitation, as it's always been, is to be those united around this simple central invitation. And so I want to just extend, expand this for a few moments. And if this speaks to you, then listen. If it doesn't, don't worry about it. Okay? I want to extend this invitation to those of you who have been yearning for a beginning. But you've been attempting to do it with control and certainty rather than presence and promise. For those of you who have some kind of question of what's next, Papa, and wanting to live with some adventure, I extend this to those of you on the edge of an ending, but you're afraid of free fall. You know it is, in fact, time to leave. And remember all the kinds of leaving but you've been dressing up your fear with virtuous clothes, calling your fear things like responsibility, buffers, and safety nets. To those of you who know, you know your next shift and your next step, but you've been hesitating. I speak to those of you who've taken a leap and you're somewhere suspended in free fall and wondering, now what? To those of you who need a fresh invitation, Jesus, follow me. So to all of you, I want to say God isn't asking you to be certain or complete, but just movable. Just movable.
So I ask you to do something that's vulnerable, and that's to show up. I want to ask you to make this visible. I've, I've made this visible to you this morning, and I want to ask, I want to be bold with you this morning because I only have a little time here. I want to ask, would you do the same? Would you show up? So I simply want to ask you to stand. It, we're, we're not playing spiritual games where you're trying to, okay? If, if you, you hear this invitation and you know it is time to leave, to go, if, if those things I just let, listed, that you, you're, it's time. You want that central invitation to be at the core of your living, moving, and breathing. I want to invite you to stand, to literally take your first step in this moment, and I want to give you a charge and to pray for you. They receive these words. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Living God, we hold these people before you who have taken their first step in this moment. You know perfectly, you see clearly, you know any of us better than we know ourselves. We thank you for the courage just exhibited in this step. Would you, by your spirit, give fresh invitations and assignments in 2020? We stand in a lineage. The promise of the spirit is that our young men and women and our, and our old men and women will have vision and will dream again. This is the result of being people of the Spirit. So Holy Spirit, would you fall afresh? Bringing your invitations and assignments for 2020. God, we ask in Jesus' name for your perfect love to drive out fear in artisan church. for a courage and a boldness to be from two people that is not self-generated, but simply and resiliently received. And for today, we ask for our daily bread. We ask for just one step. What's the next step? So would you give wisdom and joy and risk to take the one right next step. So we hold our brothers and sisters before you, and we hold this whole community before you, creating us to be your from-to people. In Jesus' name, amen.